The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. G'day, g'day. Welcome to a new week on the program. Good to have your company. Another Monday where I am in Sydney at the moment, just gone 3 p.m. here. 4 a.m. Monday in London and Sunday night, 11 o'clock in New York City and 8 p.m. in L.A. This is a global megaphone and it's a megaphone for you as well. If you've got something to say and who hasn't at the moment with so much going on both domestically and internationally, it doesn't matter whether it's short and sweet. We'd love to hear it on our talkback lines. You can give us a call right away from the US or Canada on 1888 201 6425 from the UK 0330024-1026 and from Australia and New Zealand 1800 670310. I was bombarded over the weekend, not just in terms of messages via the chat box and our email inbox, etc., but also from social media and people getting quite enthused about what we began last week, which was basically video streaming, the radio going into TV land. And thank you very much for all the positive feedback and uh, maybe a few bits and pieces, a suggestion or two here, which we are quite happy to receive as well. I can tell you, as of today, you can go to the app, which I encourage you to download on your smartphone or your iPad or something similar. And on that app, not just the video streaming services like Facebook, X, and Rumble, and Odyssey, but you can see the program on the app. That's right. You go to the little menu on the left-hand side, look for Watch Live, press that, and you'll be able to listen to the radio program with the video as well. So little bit by little bit, TNT Radio will be seen right across the gamut, which is fantastic. Now... I'll have something to say very shortly about this much-needed pause in the Gaza Strip. At least we're seeing some positives after about eight weeks without any positives, including hostages going home in three lots so far, and humanitarian aid reaching Gaza City like never before, as you would have heard in our last news bulletin. And I have this perversely optimistic view about what can be achieved with Hamas largely exterminated, at least exterminated outside or inside the Gaza boundaries. And I actually think that these are positives both for Palestinians and Israelis, and we'll explain shortly for you. Geopolitical expert and lecturer Stuart Hooper is my special guest today on the program. Who benefits most from this exchange of hostages for prisoners. A lot of people, it, might, 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 it, it actually is a good deal because I've had as many comments online about how this is very advantageous for Hamas and equally those pro-Palestinian supporters saying it's far too advantageous for Israel. So maybe the deal is somewhere in the middle. We'll hear what Stuart makes of that deal and the fact that only one American has been released in the three handovers so far. That was a four-year-old Israeli-American. What does that mean and what are Hamas coming at in terms of leaving Americans as hostages? 
And China's strongest uh, strongest condemnation yet of the trilateral AUKUS agreement. We'll talk about what China has said and what Stuart Hooper makes of all of that. From down under today, we kick off the week as usual with a little bit of commentary gravitas as radio legend Alan Jones joins us. We'll discuss the Prime Minister's worst poll numbers since he was elected in May of last year and why has the Australian public turned their backs on Anthony Albanese and Labor, do you think? We'll hear what Alan thinks of our newest senator and the obscene amount of money to simply monitor those criminal detainees that the High Court demanded be released. It is just astronomical. All of that with Alan Belford-Jones very shortly on the program. We will cross to Melbourne a little bit later and get the latest from the Socialist Republic of Victoria. Liberal Party MLC Renee Heath will be ready for us and we'll discuss the militant action being recommended by the state's education union, yes, think schools, in support of Palestinians. So maybe you're wondering why school children have raced to be very pro-Palestinian, uh, given the fact that October 7 was as barbaric as was reported. Well, maybe the answer is in what teachers are up to in the classroom. Uh, the majority of those union members, by the way, I don't think would have a clue where the Gaza Strip was. But anyway, and we'll talk about what John Howard is doing in Melbourne, catching up with the former treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. It's not a recruitment drive, is it? Could be. Um, he is someone that I think the coalition could do with right now. And what does former federal opposition leader John Hewson think will happen at the next federal election? I'll tell you shortly, it's not good news for Albo. We'll get to him uh, in the program as well. So there's plenty happening and plenty of reasons to jump on our talkback lines. You're with Chris Smith Broadcasting Live. We are on the Global News Talk Network, TNT Radio. Live. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You know, there are some tragic ironies about what's unfolding in the Middle East right now, and I've mentioned a few through the course of the last seven weeks, but the one that occurs to me right at the moment is this pause in fighting, this ceasefire, or as some people are calling it, some kind of truce. I don't think there's a truce. I think there's a ceasefire, certainly not a truce. Uh, the irony is prior to October 7, there hadn't been an attack between Hamas and Israel since January, January the 26th. There'd been this unofficial layoff of military action for more than eight months. Some people were calling it a truce. Uh, the year was highlighted by very few highlights. And for those eight months, 2023 was marked by a military calm and multiple attempts at regional reconciliation. In March, Saudi Arabia agreed to a detente with Iran. It was also in talks with the United States over a deal that would normalise ties with Israel. Civil wars in Libya, Syria and Yemen had ground to a halt. The only skirmish was that Sudan saw itself stuck in one of their very familiar civil wars, but all contained within its own border. The Gulf states were turning their attention towards economic growth, not military action. And then came Hamas to dial up the calm into a surprising barbaric 
terrorist storm turning a region which for the first time in a long time held some promise. Well, they turned it into one at or on the brink of war. And now we have another attempted ceasefire over hostages negotiated by Qatar, Egypt and the United States. Although even the current truce, if you think there has been a truce, has been somewhat bastardised in the last four days with reports of two Palestinian men executed in the West Bank by Hamas for allegedly being Israeli informants. Now, they were murdered by firing squad, then hung upside down from an electricity pylon. Their bodies were then mutilated. One had his legs cut off. Uh, Don't search the video because it is easily accessible. So apart from that evil episode of internal summary justice, yes, we have a truce. I think we need to change those posters that say free Palestine to free Palestine from Hamas. But hang on a second. If you believe the work of Australian war activist, Melbourne man Robert Martin, who's in Palestinian territory right now, the Israeli Defence Force is not obeying the terms of this truce, at least not in the West Bank. Martin discovered in this interview with a Palestinian man that Israeli forces have been entering the Ada refugee camp in the city of Bethlehem, killing at least one Palestinian. Also, people need to know that the gate here, and I mean, I call it a gate where they can come in and do their terror work and then they leave. And so there's no reason for them to actually be here, but is it almost every day or every night that they're here yes, terrorising? the last four days, four nights, I would say. They are coming every day to have to take photos of the streets of the camp, trying to, you know, we don't know why they are taking all these pictures for the roads, for the houses. Uh, The people start being uh, worried about the things that they are doing. Even we consider this this place as an area A, which have to be under the control of the Palestinian Authority, but uh, unfortunately it's not. Again, apart from those clandestine nighttime raids by the Israeli Defence Force, yes, we have a truce. Oh, and then you've got the Houthi rebels from Yemen who don't want to miss out on being part of the mayhem, of course. They've seized another Israeli-linked cargo ship in a crucial Red Sea shipping route, making it three in a single week. So apart from those medieval acts of piracy on the high seas, yes, we have a truce. Um, Around the world yesterday, more pro-Palestinian rallies took place with large angry crowds screaming for Palestinian freedom and calling Israel's war on Hamas a genocide on the Palestinian population. In London, pro-Jewish supporters are also turning up to these rallies, which of course promotes the idea that they could be clashes and violence ensuing. And they were pleading for an end to the hate. This joke has become fashion. It's fashion. It's fashion, this bullshit. It's fashionable. Yes. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, does it? How many bombs France in Syria, here, London. All it is is an excuse to hate Jews. It's us. The problem's us, isn't it? It's us. You think tomorrow, if there was no Israel, this problem would be solved? They kill each other what genocide we're the worst we're the worst that committed genocide the population has tripled in the last 10 years genocide these people are they're idiots they're idiots blind 
blind by hate. It's interesting that he would say that turning up for a pro-Palestinian rally was somehow fashionable. It happened very quickly in large numbers. I doubt whether that's the case. However, if you've got a view on that, give us a call on the talkback lines and let me know what you think. Is it fashionable? in the current conflict in Western world to support the Palestinians. And you just wonder whether that ingrained and centuries-old hate will ever lead to a reasonable peace in the Middle East. Most people I speak with say never, and others who are a little bit more optimistic say not now. Uh, But while we're all glued to the trickle release of hostages and who might blink first in this precarious pause on war, The leaders of all major nations with skin in this game are trying to figure out whether from this absolute shambles there is a possible resolution. How does the world reset the Middle East when and if Israel takes out its terror target, Hamas? Can the detente between Iran and Saudi Arabia still extend to Israel? The US, of course, remains optimistic about that. The Saudis, well, they could likely intervene on behalf of Palestinians and only bring Israel into this three-way deal if a real Palestinian territory was finally granted. Could the Saudis play a key role? The fact that Israel remains determined to eradicate Hamas will provide the Palestinians with a path to self-governance and maybe even another democratic election because it's been a hell of a long time since they've had one. That's got to be a good outcome as well. The United Nations will quickly rally the world's wealthiest nations to pay for Israel's mass destruction of Gaza. You can bet on that, and they'll rebuild the Gaza Strip. That, too, will be a positive, albeit costly, to the world economy. And so the mere fact that the region is in the midst of war, is in this state of mayhem, is likely to see 2024 highlighted by efforts in Middle Eastern renewal maybe even large steps towards dispute resolution. Maybe we shouldn't get carried away with ourselves. Uh, That might be the best we can hope for out of this carnage because when it comes to resolution, that is not a word that's very applicable to the Middle East because hate does not erode quickly and there's no pause agreed to on that score. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Homeland Security was built with an emphasis of protecting this country. What it's turned into under the Obama years is the targets of terrorists coming into the U.S. after 9-11 were switched. The targets now are the good American people. Anybody that's God-loving or if you go to a school board and you happen to say, hey, I don't want my kids being pushed pornography in the school, this stuff's being pushed on our children and people went to these school boards and said something, they're being targeted by this government, this Obama, the Biden government. Same with the Catholic Church, people that have gone to these uh, abortion clinics and prayed, they have been targeted. One individual uh, had a a large family one morning on a Saturday morning, they attacked his house, Uh, the FBI and police came there, knocked down his door, parted him away, and his, his crime was that he was praying at abortion clinics, basically. That's who's being targeted by this Biden Obama regime. Joe Hoft, on TNT Radio. Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. 
To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Hi, good to have you company. Now, Pelly has sent me a question of sorts on the chat box on TNTradio.live, which you can be part of. And Pelly wants to know, I do not understand why Israel releases more people than Hamas do. Well, I saw an Israeli representative on a British uh, news agency over the weekend, and he was saying that the preference would be a one-on-one -on -one swap, that is, a hostage for a Palestinian prisoner in a jail in Israel. But this is not what Hamas has demanded. demanded. They've demanded three times the number be released out of Israeli jails in exchange for these hostages. And when you think about recent attempts to exchange prisoners for hostages, Israel has often contributed a hundred more Palestinian prisoners to Hamas in exchange for soldiers, for instance, and that goes back to 2022. Um, they've already set the precedent that they are prepared to get their own people back, especially soldiers, and pay a bigger price, a far greater price than proportionality one for one. So that could be some of the reason. The precedent has been set because um, the Israeli government is prepared to do exactly that. Well, a further 39 Palestinians have been freed from Israeli prisons in the third exchange for hostages being held in Gaza. They were released as part of this agreement, which has seen 40 Israeli hostages taken on 
October 7, return. Now, 13 on Friday, there was a further 13 on Saturday night and 14 yesterday. So far, 117 Palestinians have been released since the first swap on Friday. So that explains some of what I was saying, Pelly. Uh, a last exchange is expected on Monday under the current deal agreed by Israel and Hamas, but it could be extended. My next guest will discuss this and a whole heap more. Stuart J. Hooper is a lecturer in political science and PhD researcher. He studies the military-industrial complex, uh, complex elites, war and globalism, is published on numerous news websites and in academic journals, and provides regular commentary on foreign policy news on this YouTube channel, on his YouTube channel, and also X-Profile. Stuart joins us live from Lawton in Oklahoma. Stuart Hooper, welcome back to TNT Radio. Great to be back, Chris. Really appreciate the invite to return. That's okay. And things have changed dramatically. So there's a whole heap more to discuss and unpack here. In reference to my opening editorial, yes, there's plenty of hate in the Middle East. Yes, it's full-on mayhem at the moment. But do you see the possibility of positive outcomes from a regional reset? Possibly. Now, this is uh, where there is the biggest red alert in terms of the potential for escalation here that is on the regional level now as you said earlier in this year there was a shift with the iranians and the saudis coming closer together really for the first time in their history since the iranian revolution um, which was a really monumental um, change in Middle Eastern politics and in global politics. The fact that you could have these two sides, the Iranians and the Saudis, coming together and normalizing relations. Uh, for those of you that are not as familiar with the region, their main reason for being at each other's throats for decades and decades and decades is the fact that they both claim to be the true representative of Islam in the world, uh, with the Iranians, the Shia side, the Saudis, the Sunni side. So they have been in this battle for religious supremacy in the region uh, um, for decades. So the fact that they were deciding to normalize relations, this was a, a very big move and a very, very big shift um, in, a, in a completely different direction, unlike we've seen in a very long time. Mm. But as you mentioned, is this what's going on with Israel? What has been going on with Israel now for a significant period of time? Is that going to derail that? Um, potentially, yes, I think this could be something that derails it. But the, the Palestinians in particular, they do find themselves in, in an interesting political position in that the other Arab states in the region often use them as a political football, uh, which is rather unfortunate for the Palestinian people. Um, they've been they get picked up, they get dropped kind of whenever it's politically useful for the other Arab states to do that. And so I would like to think positively um, that there can be some regional change that can move in a peaceful direction here. Um, but I'm not entirely convinced that that can happen. And I've been warning from the very start of this conflict that there could be regional escalation um, and it could really blow up into something that we haven't seen in a very long time. Thanks to the US, the Russians, the Chinese, all of these large superpowers are in the region, as well as our Arab states, which are also now in a better position than they've ever been in before on a lot of levels as well. Do you think that it's even possible to eradicate Hamas? My view is it is not. Uh, however, it may be possible to eradicate Hamas from Gaza, which gives the Palestinian people and the Palestinian Authority a chance at self-governance. That's got to be a huge step forward. 
Yeah, so this is the big question. Um, is there a military solution to this problem? That's really what we're getting at. That's the heart of this issue. Is there a military solution to this problem between the Palestinians and the Israelis? I would also argue no. Um, you cannot just expect to militarily um, eradicate Hamas, um, particularly not with the methods that the Israelis have currently been choosing. Um, there have been a lot of analysts that I've been listening to over the last however many weeks we've been at this now um saying that basically for every one civilian that you end up killing you might be generating two three four five six potential future terrorists that are going to come down the road um so to go at the whole problem with a military approach um, just bringing really a sledgehammer to the issue is really not helping at all. And I think, um, as you've said, yeah, I don't think you can really eliminate Hamas like this. It's more of a, an idea than it is an organization. Um, because also in, in the, uh, the Western world, when we think of political organizations and political groups and things like this, um, even opposing military factions that exist we think of this organized structure these sets of institutions that are set in stone but we can change them and we can vote them out of office and we can bring in new forces um, or we can have revolutions and things like this well that's really really hard when you're dealing with something like hamas which is an extremely decentralized organization most of these things are al-qaeda very decentralized organization so yeah you can go around the world and conduct drone strikes and you can blow people up um it's kind of like whack-a-mole here's the terrorists well we got them there we got them here we got them here but the problem is they keep springing back up because this isn't like a state. This isn't an organized institution. This isn't something that you can just kind of cut the head off the snake. And all of a sudden, you're going to be in a better position because there is no real one head to the snake. It's, it's better thought of along those lines as sort of like a hydra with many different heads and new heads spring up all the time. And they're all ultimately waving the flag for this one idea. Um, so how do you resolve this problem? I don't really have an answer to that question. Wish I did. Um, I think a lot of people wish they did right now. Um, but I don't think you can bomb your way out of this. I don't know what you really need to do. I think maybe the best thing would be to get those Arab states to finally do something serious and significant to help the Palestinian people, however you do that. Let's further that um, after a quick break. I've got to get a news update for my listeners. Let's do that and then talk about that aspect. And then we'll dovetail into the AUKUS agreement as well, because there have been significant moves from the Chinese based on their comments on AUKUS over the weekend. Stuart Hooper is my guest, geopolitical lecturer. We'll come back and talk further with him after a news update on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. I have some exciting news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There are reports this hour the fragile ceasefire between Israel and Hamas could be extended. 58 foreign hostages have been released from Gaza since Friday, including 41 Israelis, in exchange for 117 Palestinians freed from Israeli prisons. Russia's launched a new military satellite into orbit. It's been revealed tech tycoon Elon Musk is planning to meet with Israel's president, and Bloomberg has warned the world is staring down the barrel of a debt tsunami. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Stuart Hooper, I noticed that Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, has stressed the need for the establishment 
of a Palestinian state, even with the mayhem that's ensuing at the moment. And he's made that quite clear in phone calls that he's had with Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates and Qatar. Is a two-state solution even possible? Uh, again, this is, uh, I wish I had a more um, concrete answer to this one. I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. Um, I think at this point, it's it's swaying into the area of no. I don't think there is necessarily going to be room for a two-state solution here. And yeah, what Hamas did was absolutely wrong. It was a terror attack and they killed civilians and it was a nightmare. But the Israeli response to this... Um, they may be cutting off their nose to spite their face here. I mean, they're, they're not thinking far enough ahead in terms of what is going to be the final um, answer to this problem. I mean, it's always been a two-state solution. That's been the thing that's kind of always been in the the realm of possibility. But I remember even back uh, probably around 2014, 2015, back when I was studying um, in, in London, and one of my professors back there, he's from Israel, he's um, grown up there and, and all of that stuff, gone along with that, he's a Middle Eastern expert. Even back then, he was saying that he didn't think that there could be a two-state solution. So he, when you look at this and the extent to which this has been a problem, it's it's been significant. So yeah, you do have Blinken going around the world um, saying that we need a two-state solution, there needs to be a peaceful resolution to the Palestinian issue. Um, however, the rhetoric that the US has been um, espousing, like what Blinken is saying about a Palestinian uh, state, doesn't really match up with the action of what the US has been doing um, in the sense of funneling billions of dollars of weapons into Israel mm. for God knows however many years at this point. Um, that is not conducive to a two-state solution. It's kind of like when you give somebody a hammer, you start to see a lot of nails. Well, in this case, that means human devastation unlike we've ever seen before. Now, do you read anything into the idea or the fact that over these three um, deliveries of hostages, there is only one American hostage, a four-year-old by the name of Abigail, an Israeli-American, whose parents were reportedly killed in the October 7 attacks? I just wonder, I'm sure Hamas is considering what nationality of hostages of hostages released firstly but i don't like the fact that they're not releasing americans uh, um, as much as anyone else and i wonder whether there's a message that might be not very beneficial to the american government yeah i mean i think you're, you're definitely right and hitting on something there for sure um if you hold hostages from a variety of different locations well you're going to be thinking how can I use this hostage from this place for my benefit? Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you're holding Americans, well, yeah, you're trying to think uh, a few steps ahead in terms of, well, how can we use these against the Americans? How can we force the Americans' hands? Um, can we get them to change their stance vis-a-vis -vis us, vis-a-vis -vis Israel, whatever it may be? Um, there was also the story of, I think it was 10 agricultural workers from Thailand who were over in Israel uh, in, in fields picking fruit and things like this, yeah. agricultural workers. They were captured. They were just released. Um, but yeah, all sorts of people have been swept up in this. But that, I think, also goes to demonstrate some of this stuff, right? Well, we'll let the Thai hostages go. What can we really do with them? What can we get out of um, the government of Thailand? Not a whole lot. What can we maybe get out of the Americans? Well, potentially quite a bit. Let's let's see what we can Let's see what we can do here. I think it's ominous. Now, to the trilateral agreement called AUKUS, a deal focusing on nuclear submarines. And I noticed on Friday, Lee Sung, 
Beijing's envoy to the International Atomic Energy Agency warned of nuclear proliferation risks posed by the nuclear-powered submarine agreement between the United States, the United Kingdom and Australia. Lee said, AUKUS poses grave challenges and runs counter to the purpose and objectives of the treaty on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons and is a typical act of double standard. Now, two things occur to me. Firstly, how can you take that serious when there are no nuclear weapons on these submarines these are nuclear powered without nuclear weapons that's the plan as i see it anyway yeah i mean with this i think that the general thing to look at here is that this is a another attempt to in what i'm trying to develop in my research an attempt to really offshore military power and military authority into these transnational institutions, such as NATO, such as AUKUS, such of these uh, these other global military establishments. Um, so for me, um, I see these things as somewhat of a, a threat to democracy and sovereignty generally, um, in the sense of, well, if you're going to get into a, a military pact with the United States and the United Kingdom and and God knows whoever else in these things when they end up uh, being finalized. Well, to what extent do those other factions that you're now involved with, to, to what extent do they limit what you want to do? Um, so if you want to go and do something on your own as an independent country, well, you're now all of a sudden tied into this massive military alliance, which may or may not see that as the positive thing to do. So you can be restrained in what you want to do as an individual actor once you go in with a group. So this, I think, is a bit of a problem. And we've seen this over and over again uh, with things like the European Union that starts as this economic entity, then it becomes a political entity. Um, and then you get these um, decisions that are being made, such massive decisions being made offshore, outside of the nation state, outside of the hands of democratic control. And then these people wonder why um, people look to so-called nationalist or so-called right-wing candidates. Well, perhaps if you didn't offshore all of the political, economic and military power in your country, perhaps you wouldn't be facing these issues, right? Perhaps Donald Trump wouldn't be a viable candidate if you hadn't have been offshoring political, military and economic power for uh, decades and decades and decades since the end of World War II. Um, but I think um, we're seeing somewhat of a, a backlash against this with these new candidates that are winning these elections here and there, but it's uh, yeah. definitely things to think about. Yeah. On Thursday, Hungarian parliamentary speaker Laszlo Kova said Germans are destroying themselves and are doing so with a whirlwind speed, perhaps faster than Hitler did. Hitler needed 12 years to accomplish this. Those who are now in Berlin do not even need 12 years to send Germany to the ground in every sense, economically and socially. Harsh words are... Uh, but is there some truth to what he's saying? Yeah, I mean, with Germany, I think Germany is in this position of uh, it's it's one of the the big two countries in Europe, Germany and France. They're really the two linchpins of Europe. Um, and Hungary, of course, has been on the outside for a number of years now. Um, and it's it's really been putting itself into that position of being far more nationalist and focused on its own internal affairs and things like this. And that doesn't always go well. Um, for sure. Um, but, but yeah, maybe they do have a point. Maybe Germany is going a little bit too far. Maybe it is going a little bit off the rails now. Um, and we see that the European project has, has stumbled over and over again over the last couple of decades. <clears throat> 
I remember growing up in the 1990s and hearing that uh, Britain might take on the euro and what would happen if we did that, but then we end up keeping the pound and then you watch what happened with the euro. So I think the European Union has just been a, this very strange experiment. Uh, I'm not sure the extent to which things like this, again, are going to be able to resist these rising nationalist uh, political forces that exist in the world. Uh, I would generally, though, caution against uh, any comparisons to Hitler and Nazi Germany. That was an extreme, an extreme political situation that we definitely don't want to repeat. I would agree. Just on energy, though, if you look at what Germany has done, say, over a period of 25 years now, they've taken an array of different approaches to secure their energy future. And now, as I understand it, they're restarting coal-fired power stations because they're running out of baseload power. Um, their whole idea with renewables has been benched, has been shelved. Uh, nuclear is starting to increase to the, not to the degree that France relies on nuclear, but there's certainly potential for all of that. One minute they're doing one thing, next minute they're doing another thing. They have suffered, have they not, with different leaders, different policies and different directions. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to energy, this is definitely something that most Western European countries are not really um, approaching from an angle of uh, considering reality. So if you want to go entirely in this renewable direction, well, good luck powering your entire economy and especially good luck um, if you want to also at the very same time transition everyone over to electric cars. Well, those cars need to be charged, right? And that will how also at the very same time transition everyone over to electric cars. Well, those cars need to be charged, right? And that will how are you going to charge the electric cars if you don't even have enough power for the electricity grid as it is? Yep. So the, nobody is thinking this stuff through on, on any level. So it would be great to just have leaders generally across the world that are a little bit more competent than what we currently have. One last one. Let's take you to UK. Uh, King, King Charles is profiting from the deaths of thousands of people in the northwest of England whose assets are secretly being used to upgrade a commercial property empire managed by his hereditary estate. Uh, the King's Duchy of Lancaster collects financial assets from people who died without a will or no next of kin. How cynical and morbid is this? And I wonder whether this could really damage the reputation and standing of the king. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the, the current state of the British economy, um, I'm from the United Kingdom. I now live in the United States. Um, and you look back across the pond and it's just a complete disaster on so many levels right now. And then you get a story like this that comes out where you have not only an elite, but the elite of the elite um basically sweeping up the unclaimed property of the um poor unwashed masses and then using it to refurbish uh his own estates yeah, this is a yeah it's an incredible story and such a, a bad look it's unbelievable there was Ugh. a story that came out about let's say about a decade ago that revealed the the royal veto where the royal family can basically veto any piece of legislation that's going through the British Parliament, 
that may affect their quote private interests so that came out that didn't really get too much of a stir in the general public when it was discovered that hey they've actually vetoed a bunch of things oh but by the way we can't tell you what that is because the royal family isn't subject to freedom of information act requests so yeah that becomes an issue um but we'll see with this one this is in the current economic situation this is something that could really rattle some cages and perhaps uh positively to, to oh, do a terrible to look away with some of these it's a mm-hmm. terrible terrible look can i just um look forward to 2024 in terms of the uk i'm hearing that you know rishi sunak is a dead man walking maybe he's a dead man walking all the way to the next election maybe uh not but while the rest of the world seems to be trending back to the right that doesn't seem to be happening in the uk why yeah, I mean, no, uh, it's it seems like the political elites are trying to get a return to the status quo, um, general return to neoliberal economics, return to interventionist foreign policy. Um, and Keir Starmer and the Labour Party have already been criticized for having very similar economic policies, very similar foreign policies. Um, and these are things why ultimately, um, when was this back in back in 2015? I actually ran as an independent candidate for parliament at the young age of about 23, 24 years old. Yeah, I did. Uh, because I looked at both the Labour Party and the Conservatives and I said, these two things are the same. They're telling me the same answers to the biggest questions, which is just not what we want. So we need a real alternative um, to these big two parties. I mean, we've got big two parties in all of the the major um, global North democracies, um, but they're really just towing the same line. So we need a real alternative, uh, something that gets us out of this left versus right paradigm. It goes far beyond that if you want to get to the real power structures. Good luck with that in the UK. Stuart Hooper, much appreciated. Thank you very much for your analysis. Thanks a lot for the time, Chris. Really appreciate it. No problem. Good to have you on, Stuart Hooper, lecturer in political science and PhD researcher. Good to get his take on what is happening in the world and is there enough happening for you? It is very confusing. It is mayhem. I was going to say controlled chaos. It's nothing controlled about it at all. Apart from the fact there are positives now with this ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. We're getting massive amounts of humanitarian aid in, and even better than that, the hostages are returning, slowly but surely, and only one American, that is a four-year-old child, I just fear that they are holding their cards very close to their chest so that near the end of the hostage handover, there are Americans left and they want to do a deal with the United States. And that might be to try and force the United States to stop supplying Israel with armaments. I don't know whether that's possible, but that might be the big ask at the end. We'll see how it plays out. Got to take a break, but uh, quite happy to take your calls. Plenty of room for that and more to tell you about, including, this is interesting, the woke uh, Customs and Border Protection Department of the United States. Wait till you hear what they've just done. I'll tell you about that after a break on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The biggest weather news is what is about to happen in Europe. I saw another one of those pictures of Greta Thunberg protesting today. I guess today is like week 300 or something of the climate strike where kids are allowed to be truant and, uh, you know, to protest climate. But she was all bundled up and I was like, well, wait a minute. Looks awfully cold over there. And uh, were there fossil fuels used in the making of those clothes that you have on. But I want to get serious about this. 
The fact that we are getting such a cold blast that is coming in, and this was telegraphed with those big storms, and the reason you see what's going on in the weather today is because all the weathermen start screaming and yelling about climate change instead of understanding the same thing happened in 2009 and they went into the deep freeze over there. But it's a serious situation. You know why? Well, first of all, the implications of that is that the United States is going to get very cold. Now, it's cold right now, but I'm talking about what could be really cold weather, severe cold, in the month of January. Because there's probably going to be a lot of snow in the United States during the month of December, especially after the 20th. So what we saw in 2009, 2010 was Europe got it in 2009 in December. And then the U.S. had their famous Snowmageddon. And that occurred later in January and February. It'd be a little bit earlier this year, probably, looking at the overall pattern. But think about this. You're going to get that grid in Europe tested now. And especially Germany. Germany looks like ground zero for the worst weather, the most snow, it's going to be a little bit colder relative to averages up where Greta lives. But Germany is going to be in bad shape here the next 10 to 20 days. But again, then you have to worry about the rest of the winter. You see what I'm saying? So we're going to have some things push come to shove, so to speak, coming up here over the next couple of weeks. And in fact, the next couple of months, because unlike last winter, I don't think this is backing off this year. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bustardi. Asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I will get you some news in about 10 minutes from now. If you'd like to comment, jump on. You get VIP status if you jump on our talkback lines, and you can do so from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. I'd love to hear what you've got to say. And uh, there's plenty to say and there's plenty to jump on at the moment. I noticed a story that broke over the weekend on a major study on COVID-19 from researchers in Estonia. And this is interesting. It was published by Zero Hedge and uh, put together by Tyler Durden. People with protection against COVID-19 following recovery from the illness were better protected than those who received a COVID-19 vaccine, according to a new study. How many people were screaming at health authorities during the pandemic to say this right across the world? Everywhere. People who received a vaccine were nearly five times as likely as the naturally immune to test positive for COVID-19 during the Delta era and 1.1 times as likely to test positive for COVID-19 during the Omicron era, researchers in Estonia found. The vaccinated were also seven times as likely to be admitted to a hospital for COVID-19 amid the spread of the Delta variant and two times as likely to be admitted to a hospital during the Omicron period when compared with the naturally immune, the researchers found. 
This is the way viruses have worked, well, as long as I've been alive and as long as you have been alive. Once you get it, you tend to be immune to even strains that come after it. The study showed that natural immunity offers stronger and longer-lasting protection against infection, symptoms, and hospitalization compared to vaccine-induced immunity, even if the vaccines work. So what does it mean, given the fact that there are so many holes in these vaccines, it's not funny? Seven times more coverage. This is from Dr. Anel Lushkula with the Department of Family Medicine and Public Health at the University of Tartu in Estonia. Previous studies have also found that post-infection immunity is superior to or similar to the protection bestowed by vaccines. Of course, we've never had a vaccine for a virus in the history of the world. So it's we can't, we've got nothing to compare it with. Dr. Uskula and her colleagues said they felt there were gaps in the literature on the subject, promoting them to work on the study. They drew from a pool of 329,000 adults and matched many of the adults in three cohorts. One compared people with natural immunity to those who received a vaccine. One compared the naturally immune to people who did not have documented prior infection or vaccination. And one compared the naturally immune to people with hybrid immunity or both prior infection and vaccination. There you go. That is some study. 329,000 people, not 29,000 people. And that's what they've come up with. People with protection against COVID-19 following recovery from the illness were better protected than those who received the vaccine. But they ran the vaccine not only in our arms, but down our throats, did they not? Okay, the Biden administration, I love this. I love it because it goes with the narrative of gender identity at the moment. And the fact that you've got to have gender neutral references and greetings in just about every department in the woke world. The Biden administration, according to the Epoch Times, has instructed US Customs and Border Protection agents to not use gendered pronouns such as he, him, she, and her. Off limits barred. You cannot say he, you cannot say him, you cannot say she, you cannot say her. Now, the last I looked, the last I looked, only 7% of Americans identified as LGBTQI. So they've changed these entire systems of greeting, written or verbalized, for 7% of the population. Now, let's just work out how much of the population within Customs and Border Protection would be identifying as LGBTIQ, probably less than 7%, I'd imagine. Only a guess, only a guess. So you're doing it for, what, 6% of your workforce? So when you're dealing with the public, the rule applies. Don't use he, him, she and her according to an internal memo obtained by the Heritage Foundation. Now, the Think Tank's oversight project said on Twitter, now known as X, we just obtained documents 
directing personnel to only use woke language when encountering individuals invading the United States. The guidance from the Department of Homeland Security asks staff to use gender-neutral language and the self-identified pronouns and name of any members of the public they interact with. No more he or him or she or her. Um, that is until you have more information about or provided by the individual, the memo states. Well, don't you get that information once you call someone he? Sorry, I don't want to be called he. Fine. Isn't it? The, isn't the onus up to them to say that I am in the minority? Why does the majority have to change their rules for the minority? I don't get it. It doesn't matter whether they're LGBTI or disabled or, or, or different colours. Why, why do you have to do that? Don't you keep in place norms that apply to the majority because then you're unlikely to get your greeting or your reference wrong? Not the other way around? This guidance should be used by all CBP employees who encounter members of the public in the course of their job duties, including, but not limited to, law enforcement, trade, human resources, public liaisons, and others. That's the memo. And that is as woke as you're going to get. Look, can you believe that? It's just extraordinary. Now, uh, Elon Musk has been very busy over the weekend, and I noticed that our newsroom has been looking very carefully at what Elon Musk is up to. But this I found quite interesting. He's got stuck into the open border policy, and I'm so glad he's raised it. Now, bear in mind, it was Elon Musk who went down with a camera and a recorder and live streamed his experiences on the southern border. That was what, about two, two and a half months ago, maybe three months ago? He has put his recording where his mouth is. He's not just talking from a keyboard stuck in his desk in X headquarters. And Elon Musk says, if New York is already buckling under the load, as it is, and has run out of room, as the mayor keeps telling us, what will the situation be like a year from now? It'll be chaotic. That's what it'll be. The open border policy started under Biden two years ago. That policy was not in place under Obama. And Governor Huchel is Democrat, not Republican. He's basically making the point that all the dramas that are occurring in New York at the moment that locals are screaming about and that police are screaming about because they've got to control the hordes that don't have a home or have taken over neighbourhoods and school gyms and community halls to try and find a place to live, all the emergency services and humanitarian services are stretched to the limit. But as he's pointing out, this is all the work of Joe Biden. Let's not forget who's responsible for the open border policy. It is Joe Biden. It's specific, says Elon Musk, to the current administration. And he, he talks about Kathy Hochul. Well, back in 2021, she wanted to open the border. She was quite happy for New York to take as many people as they possibly could. But in 2023, she's had a change of mind. It's interesting, isn't it? Once things don't work out, once their nirvana of looking after those from minority groups in other countries don't work out and take jobs and take away the living quarters of others in places like New York, 
well, they changed their mind about their previous policy. Isn't it interesting? Despite the fact that everyone in the beginning was saying, don't open the borders. Ridiculous. I've got to take a break and I'll come back with Alan Jones after the news on TNT Radio.